The text for this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 12, namely the verses 31 and 32. Matthew 12, 31 and 32. These words, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So far the text. After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 81, 1 through 6. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the words of our text have inspired a lot of fear. Throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been many people who were filled with fear because of these words of our Savior. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Many people struggled with that, and they wondered whether they themselves had committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They wondered whether they would be saved. Maybe they were serving God, but they wondered whether they had committed this sin so that in the end, when they stood before the judgment seat of God, they would still be condemned. And they were afraid to die. Maybe you too have wondered about this sin. And maybe you too have worried whether you maybe committed it. That's why we need to listen to what our Savior is saying in this text. We need to listen for our comfort because there are a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of unnecessary worries. And we need to listen because we need to be warned because we do have to be very careful how we listen to the Word of God lest we end up committing the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so this morning I proclaim God's word to you under this theme. The Lord Jesus Christ identifies the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as the unforgivable sin. As we focus on that, we'll note two things. First of all, the nature of of this sin. And secondly, the point in time of this sin. Christ identifies the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as the unforgivable sin. We'll note the nature of this sin and the point in time of this sin. Many have thought in the history of the Christian church that what the Lord Jesus was referring to was some kind of 
sexual sin. After all, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So, the reasoning was, if you commit sexual sin, you sin against your own body, and you are sinning against the Holy Spirit. And for that, there's no forgiveness. And so people who committed a variety of different sexual sins sometimes thought that they would be condemned to hell. They thought that there would be no forgiveness for them. And that's very sad, brothers and sisters, because it's totally wrong. It's a totally wrong understanding. Then there were also those who thought that in a moment of great frustration and stress in the face of the crises of life, they had cursed the name of God. And now there would be no forgiveness for them. They had willfully and hatefully and angrily taken the name of the Lord in vain. They had raised their fists to heaven, as it were. And now they would be condemned to hell. And that's very sad, brothers and sisters, because, again, it's totally wrong. It's a totally wrong understanding. As in so many things in life, and certainly as is the case with all of Scripture, we need to understand this text within its context. And the context is that the Lord Jesus was identifying himself as the promised Savior. The Lord Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The Lord Jesus was healing people. He was showing what it was all about. And he wanted people to recognize him as the promised Savior. He wanted them to come to him in faith. And if we had started our scripture reading a little earlier in Matthew 12, we would have read about that man with a withered hand. The Lord Jesus was confronted with him. And the Pharisees asked whether it was lawful for the Lord Jesus to heal him on the Sabbath. And the Lord Jesus explained that it was. After all, the Sabbath is all about rest, rest from sin, and the Lord Jesus has come into the world to give us that eternal rest from sin and all the brokenness of life. So the Lord Jesus healed them on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees condemned them for that. We read in chapter 12, verse 14, that from that day onward they conspired how they might do away with him. And then we read this morning about that demon-possessed man who was also blind and mute. The Lord Jesus was confronted with him too. This man had three afflictions. Think of it. He was demon-possessed. He couldn't see. He couldn't talk. And the Lord Jesus healed him. It was a triple miracle. 
This demanded attention, and it received attention. Because we read that the crowds asked the all-important question, can this be the son of David? Now, it's true that in the original, if you were to check that, the question is in the negative. This couldn't be the son of David, could it? They were still kind of standoffish, but they were asking the right question. They were heading in the right direction. They were heading toward the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus had had an impact on them. And then the Pharisees spoke up. The Pharisees turned it all upside down. Because as we read this morning, the Pharisees said, verse 24, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. In other words, they were condemning the Lord Jesus. They were actually saying that this miracle was not inspired by heaven, but was inspired by hell. Can you imagine? They saw the evidence before their very eyes. They saw the power of God working through Jesus Christ. They saw the evidence that the Lord Jesus had been sent by the Father to this earth. And they said, this man does this by the power of hell. And then the Lord Jesus pointed out how irrational they were. We read in the verses 25 and 26, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? The Lord Jesus was showing how nonsensical their argument was. If he was in league with the devil, why would he cast out this demon? That makes no sense. The Lord Jesus also showed how inconsistent they were. Because we read in verse 27, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Apparently in the days of Christ there were other people who had the power to cast out demons. And they did that with a lot of fanfare. There was a lot of excitement surrounding that. The Lord Jesus just did it like that. But they did it with a lot of excitement and fanfare. And the Lord Jesus said, well, if I do that by the power of hell, whom do your sons do that by? Is that by the power of hell too? And of course they wouldn't acknowledge that. They were being inconsistent. The Lord Jesus was doing this by the Spirit of God. 
and that meant that the kingdom of God had come upon them. Verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then the Lord Jesus spoke about binding the strong man, verse 29, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. The strong man is Satan. And the Lord Jesus was busy binding Satan. That started already right at the beginning of Christ's public ministry, when the Lord Jesus was taken into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil three times, the Lord Jesus dealt with the devil three times, and the devil had to depart from him in defeat. And that process of binding Satan continued during Christ's earthly ministry. And so when the Lord Jesus came upon this demon-possessed man, the Lord Jesus healed him, thereby plundering the house of Satan. The Lord Jesus was freeing that man from the clutches and the chains of Satan. He let him go. He plundered the house of Satan. And then the Lord Jesus said in verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were scattering the people of God. The people were coming to the Lord Jesus. The people were asking that all-important question, could this be the Son of David? Could this be the promised Savior, the Messiah, the one for whom we have been waiting all these centuries? Could he be the one? And the Pharisees came and said, no! He hasn't come down from heaven. He's come up from hell. They were standing between the Lord Jesus and the covenant people of God, pushing the covenant people of God away from the Lord Jesus. They were systematically opposing the Lord Jesus, thereby scattering the people of God. And it's within that context that the Lord Jesus spoke again about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In other words, that indicates that the attitude of the Pharisees is characteristic of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what is the nature of it? We've seen something now of the context, that all-important context within which we must understand our text. So what is the nature of this sin? Well, the nature of this sin is that we ascribe that which is of the Holy Spirit to the devil. It is a willful and angry and hateful rejection of Jesus Christ as the promised Savior. And that rejection is done against better knowledge, willfully, and it involves maligning the Lord Jesus and associating him with the devil. And this is done systematically. And that's awful. This is not a sin of ignorance. This is not a sin of weakness. 
This is a deliberate, willful, hateful thing of anger. And the Lord Jesus says, every sin, every blasphemy will be forgiven except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Except that. And that makes us think of what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6. We always have to compare Scripture with Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 8, we read the following. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. What a horrible thing. The Lord Jesus said, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And that's because there will never be repentance. Those who commit the blasphemy against the Spirit cross a line. They cross a point of no return. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is speaking about. If you tasted the good word of God, And if you then fall away, if you willfully and hatefully reject it, if you systematically oppose it and undermine it, there's no chance for repentance. And that's a horrible thing. Now, does that mean that everyone who leaves the church or even abandons Christianity entirely, is guilty of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? And I say no. The Bible says no. Because not everyone who leaves the church and not everyone who leaves Christianity leaves with that attitude. I repeat, it's about a willful, hateful, angry rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about active opposition. It's about systematic opposition. It's about maligning the Lord Jesus. It's about associating the Lord Jesus with the devil. It's about saying regarding Christianity, it's nothing but an illusion, a product of hell. Meant to deceive and meant to lead the deluded nowhere. If you say that, after you have tasted the good word of God, then you cross that line. 
the point of no return. And that's why we need to hear this text, because there's a warning here. Be careful how you listen. And when you start drifting, which you shouldn't do, but when you start drifting, be careful because where are you going to end up? You may end up at that point. You may end up at the point of no return, that there is no hope for you anymore and that you will not be brought to repentance. And that makes drifting already so serious because you don't know where it will end up. Now the question this morning is, did the Pharisees actually commit the sin against the Holy Spirit? In Matthew chapter 12, did they actually commit it? There are differences of opinion about that. This brings us to the point in time of this sin. There are differences of opinion about that among Reformed scholars. One view says, yes, they did. They did commit the sin against the Holy Spirit in Matthew 12. Another view leaves it open-ended, and still another view says, no, they did not. But let's read very carefully what the Lord Jesus said. It reads more as a warning than as an accusation. The Lord Jesus did not actually say with so many words that the Pharisees who were standing there before him had actually committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus made a statement about every sin and blasphemy being forgiven except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus spoke about sin against the Son of Man and sin against the Holy Spirit. That comes across more as a warning than as an accusation for those Pharisees before him. And furthermore, we all know how the rest of our Savior's ministry went. At the end, he was on the cross. They had nailed him to the cross, and the Lord Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Lord Jesus could not have prayed that prayer on the cross, brothers and sisters, if the Pharisees had already committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus knew very well that they, they nailed him to the cross in anger and hatred and willful opposition. They had actively opposed him. They'd wanted nothing to do with him. They had shouted, crucify him, crucify him. We want nothing to do with him. And they knew very well what the cross meant. They knew the Old Testament very well. And they knew that the books of Moses say that anyone who is on a tree is accursed of God. And they wanted him badly on that tree because they thought he was a child of hell. And yet the Lord Jesus prayed, Father, 
forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we have to focus on the point in time of this sin. What time was it on the clock of redemptive history? The Son of Man was in his humiliation. And that's why the Lord Jesus distinguished between sin against the Son of Man and sin against the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees were sinning against the Son of Man. There was still the possibility of forgiveness. That's why the Lord Jesus prayed for them. But things would change when the Son of Man would be in his exaltation. After the resurrection, after the ascension, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the full revelation of God in Christ was revealed, then the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would be possible. Then the rejection of the Lord Jesus could lead to the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in some. Then it would be possible if people rejected the gospel of Christ's victory over sin in the grave, that they would come to the point of no return. And look what happened. After Pentecost, the apostles preached the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly in Jerusalem, and thousands came to faith. Even many of the priests came to faith. So we read in Acts chapter 6. What a wonderful reality. In the lives of those people who then came to faith in Jesus Christ, those people who may have themselves stood there shouting, crucify him, crucify him. In the lives of those people, the prayer of our Lord Jesus was realized. Father, forgive them. And what about us? Well, we also live after the time of Pentecost. We have the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We live in a beautiful time. We may hear of Christ's victory over sin and death. We may have the whole gospel. We have the whole Bible. We know the whole history of redemption up to the present day. But it's also a very dangerous time, a very serious time, because this is the time in which the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is possible. That's why we who hear the word, who may have grown up with it, who have been baptized, need to be very careful how we listen. We need to be very careful how we respond because this sin is possible. And then we are at the point of no return. And that makes these words of our Savior so fearful. We need to be warned. 
But at the same time, we need to know these words of our Savior so that we're comforted. Because like I said, there are a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of needless worries. People have agonized over nothing. As bad as what they may have done was, it was not unforgivable. If you perhaps thought that this word of Christ was about some kind of sexual sin, or if you thought that this word of Christ was about that angry outburst of hatred toward God that you may have done at one point in your life, and if you are sorry for that, you may be assured of the forgiveness of your sins. No doubt about it. And I can also say this. If you were worried about perhaps having committed this sin, the very fact that you're worried about it is the evidence that you haven't. Because anybody who has committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit couldn't care. Such a person is not afraid of God. Such a person is not afraid of judgment. Such a person brushes it all aside. But if you were worried about it, that means you didn't commit this sin. Otherwise, you wouldn't be worried And so, brothers and sisters, God is holding out before you this morning His comfort. There's forgiveness for all your sins when you seriously confess those sins and are heartily sorry for them. There's forgiveness for all your sins. And you may go home this morning with your heart at rest, you may go home in peace. Amen.